I've really enjoyed the new reading plans. We have a couple for you. Please go to the website, sign up as soon as you can. You know, by the way, you don't have to do those. There's nothing like, you know, part of membership is that you do the Bible plan. You know, nothing like that. We just want you to engage in the Bible. Part of our job um, here at the church is to help you uh, with that. These are just tools, right? Just tools. So if you want to use the tool, we'd love for you to use it. If you don't want to, uh, that's fine. Uh, One of those things that we've been doing is this reading of uh, passages and very short passages, maybe one or two verses, but out loud together with people all over the world. Uh, I I just tell a quick story on myself. It's been really fun uh, because I've been doing it, and maybe you've looked at the video wall because you can see the video wall of everyone around the world who's done it. Uh, I've been doing it with my uh, daughters. So Ava and Addie will get in the screenshot and and we'll read out loud together. Again, this is all done in the Bible 2020 app. So if you have a smartphone, you can even download it right now. Bible 2020 app. But today, uh, I actually want to do it with you guys. I thought it would be fun. Um, I'm probably not going to get everyone in the shot. It's probably going to be more here. So the people on the side, you're just going to have to be really vocal on this one. But I, I think I have the verse up on the screen. And... We'll see how, yeah, here we go. Okay, so if you guys can just say it really loud, it's going to count down, and then you guys give it a shot. Three, two, one. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Amen. We did well. Praise the Lord. All right, posting that on the video wall. Uh, if you have your Bibles, smartphones, tablets, whatever you got, go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, today's passage you're going to absolutely love. It's verses 36 through 50. Again, if you have your Bible, it goes on up 36 through 50. Today, and, and instead of actually reading it, we're going to watch, I found a video, actually, I think Jeremy and Jesse found this video for me, but it's this scene uh, played out by actors, an actor portrayal of what this scene maybe would have looked like or could have looked like. So as you have your Bibles, follow along uh, through chapter 7, 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. 
Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In that ominous music, that was actually live 2,000 years ago. There was a guy in the corner. No, just kidding. Sorry, musician's joke. All right, verse 50, the last verse. He says, go in peace. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In fact, can we just say that together? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. She left the encounter with Jesus with peace. Church, let me ask you a question. Are you living with peace? Are you living with peace? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you saved? Are you at peace with God? The woman in this scene, this encounter, she leaves Jesus, leaves God the Son in peace. But how, right? How, how does this happen? Why does this happen? I don't want you to miss this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Again, he says, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Church, write this down. Peace comes with forgiveness. Peace comes with forgiveness. There can never be any true peace without our sins forgiven. Does that make sense to you? True peace only comes with true forgiveness. Again, the question is, how is your peace these days? Are you walking in peace, with peace? Are you walking in and with forgiveness? Church, I just want to say this out loud. I am thankful for Jesus today. I just want you to hear that, right? I am thankful for Jesus today. Some of you have been going through a season. I, I've, I've been going through a season. I came, fra- came back from sabbatical end of August. Um, it has been a season. But I just want to publicly acknowledge and speak out loud my thanks, my gratitude, my just appreciation for Jesus and what he has done in my life. I am thankful for Jesus. What he's done for me, what he's done for my family, what he's done for this church Praise the name of Jesus. Most of you have heard what I'm about to say before, but I think it's always worth remembering what Jesus has done. Again, this will make sense to most of you, but just remember that in our sin, we were enemies of God. We were hostile toward God. Paul says we were what? Dead in our transgressions. But then God made a way for us, right? When there seemed to be no way, God made a way. He says in Romans, he says, while we were still sinners, what did Christ do for us? Christ 
Yeah, he died for us. While we were still his enemies, while we were still spitting upon him, mocking him, throwing rocks upon him, we were hostile toward God. While we were enemies of God, what did he do? Christ died for us. We've got to remember this, church. By the way, God hates sin. He does. He just he cannot tolerate sin. And there must be a payment for sin. But out of the Father's love for us, he sent his Son to die. For our sin. Romans 5.10 says this. We were reconciled to God. By the death of his son. Let us not ever forget that. Can we not take that for granted? Can we not think that we need to move on to something. Beyond the fact that we were separated. But God made a way when there seemed to be no way. That through the death of his son. Jesus. God reconciled us. We were reconciled back to the father. In relationship. Right relationship with our maker. Because of Jesus. How church? Through the forgiveness of sin. And when you are forgiven, you're no longer hostile toward God. You're no longer an enemy of God. The war is over. Praise the Lord, right? Praise Jesus. Colossians 1.20, it says that Jesus had made peace through the blood of his cross. So Paul says in Romans 5.1, we'll put up on the screen for you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, just like that woman, we have peace because of the forgiveness that Jesus offers. You know, I wanted to start this service with that because nothing else I'm going to say is going to matter as much as what I just said. Nothing. And if you've never put your faith in God, if you've never put your trust, your hope in Jesus then your sins, my sins, outside of Christ, our sins find us guilty before a holy God. And and along with all those earthly consequences of sin, right, of living in sin, we've all done that before. We've seen that played out in our own lives. But there are also eternal consequences for living a life of sin. But when we came to Jesus, when, when we come to Him in faith, we receive such a grace gift from the Lord, don't we? Such a, such a gift of His grace. He, he freely gives the forgiveness of sins. And we can go in peace just like this woman in today's story. It reminds me of the prodigal son. You guys know, right, the story of the prodigal son. He's the younger of the two brothers. He disrespectfully asks for the inheritance of his father. He goes out, he squanders the wealth on wild living. He's out feeding some pigs. Remember that part? He's feeding the pigs and he's like man these pigs are eating better than i am and so he comes up with a plan you ever come up with a plan before especially when you're really stuck in your sin like oh i know what i'm gonna do and so he listen to what he does he says he came to his senses and he says you know what how many of my father's hired servants well they have food to spare here i am starving to death you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna set out i'm gonna go back to my father and i'm gonna say to him father here's the plan father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired servants. So he gets up and he goes to his father. Right? He's got the plan. There's been some sinning to be sure. But now he's got a plan. This is good, right? He's like, yeah, this is going to work. I'm going to come back to my father. I'm going to work hard, right? Get back to the good graces of my father. Just, Just make me like one of your hired servants. 
Well, then listen to what happens next. You guys know the story, right? While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father was what filled with compassion for him. He runs to his son. He throws his arms around his son. He kisses his son. The son says to him, Father, man, I have sinned against... Here's the plan. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father says to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost, but he is found. So they began to celebrate. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. In the story of the prodigal son and his father, in this account of this woman and Jesus, you see such a good God. You see such a loving God, right? The manner, even, I love watching that actor portrayal, just, it's a radical love, right? It's not grudgingly, it's not half-heartedly, but liberally with open arms, fully forgiving sinners. Now, I say this all the time. If you've been here at all, I always say, now, I don't want to show a hand, right? I'm always saying that. By the way, every time I say that, usually I would have raised my hand. So just judge me all you want. It is me. All the things, I've done them all. The worst of sinners. But this time, I actually want you to raise your hands on this. Anyone besides me here experienced this kind of radical love and forgiveness from the Lord ever before in your life? Anyone else? Hallelujah. Go ahead and put your hands down. Can we just... Come to grips with that, that his forgiveness, his love, his acceptance. I mean, amazing doesn't quite describe it, does it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you try to use a, 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 an English word, like maybe I'll say incredible. It doesn't quite describe it. Maybe I'll say awesome. It doesn't quite describe it. It's indescribable. The love, the grace, the forgiveness, the acceptance that Jesus has given us through the death on the cross. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His acceptance, truly amazing. In today's account, this uh, response to this forgiveness, listen to this, verse 38. She, she, um, it says she stood behind him, behind Jesus, at, at his feet weeping. She, she began to wet his feet with what? With her tears. She's wiping them, right, the feet with what? With her hair. She's kissing them. She pours perfume on them. The Pharisee, Simon is his name, the guy who invited him in, he sees this and he's thinking to himself, man, if this... Guy, if he really were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And then Jesus is like, man, Simon, I got something to tell you. So he tells him a story. He says, verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back the money lender. They couldn't pay him back, whether it was 500 or 50. So what does the money lender do? What does he do? Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he, what? He forgave. He forgave the debts of both. Jesus says, now, Simon, which of them will love this money lender more? Simon's response is simply, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Right? Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So what does he do? He forgives their debts. The word he uses here for forgiveness, maybe you've seen this before, kritzomai, right? Kritzomai, maybe that word looks familiar. We've talked about it a lot at the church, but if that doesn't look familiar, the root word there is charis, 
Anyone know that one? That's even more familiar, right? What does that mean? Grace, right? Unmerited favor, grace. The money lender, he shows these two guys who own money. Grace. Unconditional, unmerited favor. Does that make sense? Like canceling their debt. Is there anything they could have done to be worthy of that? Is there anything they did to earn it or deserve it? Does that make sense? Like, no. Like, I was just being, I can't repay the debt. Grace. Free gift of grace. Charisma. Forgiveness. Their debt was forgiven. Does that make sense? Sometimes we get really Christianese, right? Like, oh man, the debt has been paid. Is it, is it clicking a little bit? The debt, your sin debt, has been forgiven. You couldn't do anything to earn it. You couldn't do anything to deserve it. But grace, you receive the gift by faith. This grace gift. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I want you to track with me. There response to the money lender their their response to this forgiveness to this grace the response is love you might want to write that down our response is love to love the money lender i want you to track with me on this one though because their debt was not forgiven because they loved the money lender no their love didn't earn them forgiveness we 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 mess that one up every once in a while don't we we kind of want to work for it. We want to earn it, right? Like, God, can you just put me on a payment plan? <laughs> no, they, they didn't earn forgiveness. Instead, they were forgiven out of his free grace, mercy, compassion. And so now their love, the love of these debtors, it was the byproduct of their debts being forgiven. I hope you're following me. Their love didn't earn them forgiveness, but instead their love was a response to forgiveness. Again, anyone else here thankful for the forgiveness you've received in the Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Amen. This is a thankful place today. We are grateful, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us on the cross. Praise the name of Jesus. Forgiven of so much. Let us not. It's hard. The longer you become a Christian, sometimes you just get that pride, that arrogance, that, man, look what I've done. May we fall to our knees in humble adoration of what Jesus has done. Oh, God, forgive us. For our spiritual pride and arrogance. Lord Jesus, what you have done. Forgiven our debts. And then that's why I love life spring. That's why I love being here. Forgiven of debts. That's what these songs are about. These songs are songs of worship and what? And love. Love to God. Why do we love God so much? Because he has done so much for us. As I heard a guy say the other day, he goes, if God never did one more single thing for me, he is still worthy of all my life. Right? It's a love for what he has already done. It is finished, declares the Lord. And so our response to what he has done is to love him, to love him with everything we've got. In this passage, you see this. This theme playing out that the greater the forgiveness, the greater the love, right? Greater the forgiveness, greater the love. Jesus turns to Simon and he says, Man, you see this woman, Simon, you did not give me water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. And what's going on, right? This is a guest. This is a culture of receiving guests. and, And none of this has happened yet. And yet this woman... 
she, from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't put the oil on my head. She's poured the perfume all over my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, we don't know everything about this scenario, right? We don't know everything that's going on in this scene. We have what is recorded for this passage. But I think one thing Jesus is really trying to make clear to everyone, including us, is that this woman has been forgiven of much. But also her response is that she loves much. Church, you and I, every single one of us, I don't care what your name is, every one of us, has been forgiven of so very much. You know, it's the worst thing when you're like, oh, I don't got a testimony, or I don't got a story. Watch out when you say that. Because it's almost a lack of acknowledgement of what Christ has truly done for you. I don't care if you were the best person in the world, made your bed every day, and made your mom breakfast. You were a sinner. Declared, you were unholy, unrighteous. You, you, your, Isaiah says your righteousness was as what? Like filthy rags. You needed a Savior. You have been forgiven of so very much. And those who have been forgiven of much, again, they love much. Uh, Theologian James Smith, he writes in regards to this. He kind of goes through this passage and he says, this is what it looks like to express this kind of love. And And he takes the example of this woman's actions. We won't take too long on this. But first he says, much love weeps. And he says, not only tears of regret for the past, but of deepest gratitude toward God. Much love washes. She hath washed my feet, verse 44 says. Much love stoops, right? Much love, it it bows low. He even says, he quotes John saying that Christ would increase, that I might decrease, that we bow down, bringing glory to Jesus, bow down, serving and worshiping Jesus. Much love kisses the lips of affection pressed against his feet. Much love anoints. Much love follows, right? She followed him into Simon's house. Much love gives. She brought her box of anointment or ointment. This was all her treasure. She laid it at his feet. Not only her ointment, but herself. So what does that look like in our lives? Right? What does much love look like? In our lives. What does it look like in my life? Again, when was the last time you... It's funny, you know, we sing about bowing before the Lord. But when was the last time you humbled yourself in a posture of bowing at the feet of Jesus? Even though the Pharisees are looking on. Even though the world around you is looking on. You say, I am not the king in this place. This isn't me. I'm not the ruler I'm not the authority. I'm not the one calling the shots. This ain't my gig. This isn't even my life. In fact, my life, it's been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own, but instead it's what? Christ in me, the hope of glory. I worship you, Jesus. Because I've been forgiven of so much. So I love you. With everything I have, with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, I love you with everything I have. And the brokenness and the vulnerability 
even in some insecurities and even doubts and fears and anxieties and all my humanness. I just come to you, God. I just thank you for your grace. Because half the time I don't even know what I'm doing. For your grace. Hallelujah. Thank you. My response to you, God, is to love you, but also to love those around me. Is love. How could I go around judging people? How could I go around being mean to people? How could I go around cursing other people? How could I go around being bitter and envious and jealous of other people when I know what you have done for me? Freely I receive, but freely I give. Like, I know, the, it's just more than I will ever fathom what you have done for me. And may my life be a reflection of what you did for that on, on the cross. You've forgiven me, Lord. I'm going to love. Love you. Love others. <laughs> There's a guy, uh, Cannon Beach Conference Center. Have you guys been down there? I love Cannon Beach Conference Center. Uh, there usually a lot of Southern Baptist preachers down there, and uh, they love the Word and preaching the Word, and a lot of fun. But um, there's a guy, um, I actually don't think he's Southern Baptist, so I don't know why I said that. But um, his name's Pastor Ray Pritchard. This, this band that I've been wearing for years now, Keep Believing, it comes from him. Uh, just uh, really stirred my heart a few years ago when I was down there. But listen to what he says about this passage. He says, Your love for the Lord is directly related to your estimate of how greatly you have sinned and how much he has forgiven you of. He says, he goes, it's not how much you sin, but how deeply you feel it that matters. Because if you figure you're just a little sinner, then all you need is a little Savior. If you're a moderate sinner, then you need a moderate Savior. But if you're a big sinner, you need a big Savior. And those who have a little Savior will love him very little. But those who have a big Savior will love him greatly. He says, many of us who were raised in the church, we struggle precisely at this point. We don't love Christ very much because we have forgotten what we were and what we would have been if Christ had not found us. When our sin seems small, our love cannot be very great. Since we are all sinners and we all stand in need of the grace of God, there's no room for spiritual pride in the body of Christ. There's no need to talk about who's better or who's worse. Because apart from the grace of God, we'd all be going to hell. Life spring. Now that's Baptist for you right there. That was good. <laughs> Life spring. We have all been forgiven of so much. Let's be known as those who worship at his feet, who love the Lord with everything we've got. It's a response to all that he has done for us. We are forgiven. Praise the Lord. We have peace. Praise the Lord. You know, as I was putting this together, I was talking to the team. I said, I just felt in my spirit that we were supposed to have a testimony about all of this. And uh, Debbie Mendoza, our very own Debbie Mendoza, has graciously uh, been willing to give a testimony about uh, this passage. So would you just please warmly welcome her with a life spring welcome. Debbie to the stage. Good morning, life spring. After I'd been a Christian for a few years, I considered how to share my story in a testimony. I knew Jesus had saved me and made me into a new person, but it, I didn't know how to tell of the depths of misery and ugliness that he saved me from without being crude. I spoke with a pastor friend about my concerns as we sat at breakfast in our local market over a Belizean breakfast of fried jacks, stewed beans, and stewed chicken 
I told him I knew too much about the dark side of life, that I didn't know how to speak about salvation without bringing the darkness into it. He told me to focus on the grace that had saved me, to talk of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit for the words. And he told me that when Jesus entered my ugly story, he made it beautiful. So I also do have to thank Pete Wilmot in our next level class. I did a testimony class with him, and that really helped me also in preparation of this. I have to thank Jesse because he has really pushed me in how to tell the story in a real meaningful way that really represents Jesus. So when this pastor told me that, it was a light bulb moment for me. Our stories aren't about how terrible we were before we were saved. Our stories are ultimately about Jesus' love and his grace that rescues us from who we were before we met him. I am a product of grace now. But in the beginning, I was full of pride. I I come from a family that is well-known and well-liked. I'm the eldest of four daughters, and I held a place of favor in my society. I'd grown up in the church and served in every, every area I possibly could. I taught Sunday school and VBS. I was youth group leader. Our church was my second home. But I had lots of questions and no one to turn to for answers. There was a simple answer I needed but didn't have. I had a lot of Bible knowledge. But somehow, with all the holiness doctrine that surrounded me, I didn't know Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That was one of my biggest questions. How did Jesus handle temptations like the ones I faced? I was sure that since he had been a man, he had to have given in at some point. I really believe that it wasn't possible for Jesus to live a life free of sin. And if he couldn't, Why should I even try? I came to a crossroads. Either keep doing the church thing, hide all of my questions, and secretly give in to the temptations that bombarded me, or choose to walk away from all of it. So I had a conversation with God. At 19 years old, I told him, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And if I stay in the church, I'm going to be. I told him that I was making a choice to do a lot of the things I hadn't been able to do as a Christian. And I didn't wait for him to answer. I just left. Leaving Christianity, I realized that I would now have no principles to guide me. So I came up with three rules. Things I told myself I would never do. These were now my morals. Let me tell you, I broke two of them within a matter of months. The third, that I would never do drugs, didn't get broken for a few more years. But by the time I had come back to the Lord, none of these three rules were anywhere in sight. They couldn't save me. I became a party girl. I drank, smoked, and made the most of the freedom and popularity that came with my job as a radio announcer and TV anchor, for which I had quite a following. My job allowed travel all over the country to the Caribbean and the U.S., but every morning I woke up with sadness that would rush to meet me before I even opened my eyes. I tried to fill my emptiness with all kinds of things and people, but nothing worked for this particular rebel without a cause. So arrogant and looking down my nose at people 
I was nothing like the person I had been growing up in church. Rules are necessary in life for other people, I thought. But life's rules did not apply to me. I had a superiority complex. I was crass and vulgar. And my mind was warped. One day, years into this crazy lifestyle, it dawned on me that I missed Jesus. I didn't miss church or religion. I missed having him as my friend, as my companion. I didn't do anything about it, but in in acknowledging that I missed him, I had named what my problem was. What I didn't identify was that the extreme lack of physical touch while I was growing up was affecting my choices and decisions in this new freedom I now enjoyed. There were things in my life that I needed healing from but didn't know it. There was physical and sexual abuse that I took to be just a part of my story. I couldn't remember a lot of my childhood, but I chalked that down to, oh, it's just the way it is. I had a claustrophobic fear of darkness that felt uncontrollable. I also had major church hurt that wasn't identified. And instead of dealing with all of these issues, I kept on living as if they were of no consequence, piling more stuff onto what was already there, believing I was untouchable the way young people do. I met a guy and gave up my crazy lifestyle. We moved in together and got married a few months later. With marriage, I believed I would regain some of the respectability I thought I had lost by my wild living. I attempted a few times to return to the Lord, but I failed each time. The pull of the world was too strong, and I still thought I could manage my own life. When I became a Christian in my teen years, Jesus came to live with me. When I chose to walk away from him, he didn't desert me. I wasn't in a church that taught about the Holy Spirit, but he isn't restricted by church teaching. Thank God. The Holy Spirit's presence in my life became a part of how I understood myself, although I didn't understand him. I wasn't very self-reflecting or self-aware, but somehow I I was always aware of God. So when my first baby died at birth, a big part of my grief was that I couldn't believe that he hadn't warned me. I was angry with the father for that. Losing my baby took a whole lot of pride out of me, for it was then I realized that I was human, just like everyone else, and that bad things could happen to me. I mourned for many years, talking to God about the pain, anger, and sadness. He gave me two other children, but always in the back of my heart and mind, I longed for my firstborn. The marriage I was in took me from tropical island to New Orleans to rainforest to jungle, I became more single-handedly responsible for raising and caring for the children and spent countless nights alone with them in sparsely populated places. Side note, um, I think the reason I love falling asleep with city lights streaming into my bedroom is because I spent so many lonely nights in those places that were so dark. And I had a terrible fear of flying. Once on an island jumper, I felt like I was having a panic attack, and I prayed, God, please take away the fear and give me peace. He answered me instantly. Peace flowed through me, and I've never again had the same fear of flying. I wondered why he would answer me like that, even though I had been so unfaithful to him. It was to give me a glimpse into his character and make me know that I could come back to him at any time I chose to do so. It showed me that he was like the prodigal father waiting for my return. My marriage and my life were in a downward spiral. 
Those stories are for another time. But suffice it to say, one night I took a long, hard look at myself. I cried out to Jesus, Lord, please come fix my life because I have made a total mess of it. And then I went to sleep. Nothing changed in my life except that everything started changing. I got the job of my dreams at the time, managing an island resort. But I continued to make terrible personal decisions, but I was talking to Jesus more. One day, the Holy Spirit asked me to do something so crazy that all I could do was sink to the floor in disbelief. I knew God's voice from my teenage years as a Christian, but I said no over and over for a few days. And then one day I said, if it's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I swallowed my pride and threw myself into what I believed he had asked me to do. I really didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be there, but I did it. I remember early one morning throwing myself into the sand. I clutched sand in my hands and I pounded the beach and I said, God, why did you bring me here to let me go through this? Instead of things getting better, they got worse. And that was when my third rule went out the window. I experimented with marijuana and ecstasy for the first time, which led to recreational use for a season. I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to be a good mother and a good wife. I was trying to be happy and trying to hold everything together for everyone. Even though my life was so messed up, because of my obedience, my family and I ended up moving to a place that Father had prepared just for me. I say it was just for me, but, you know, um, there are a lot of other people there who could have benefited from it. It was a major move. And as we made plans for it, I knew that I was going to be making some huge life changes. I wanted to raise my children in the church. In one of my conversations with Jesus, I asked him if he could give me four friends when we moved to this new place. I wanted people in my life who would want nothing from me except to be my friend, because I had never known that kind of friendship. And I figured four was as good a number as any. Our first Sunday there, I dressed up the children, and we went to church. We had been living on a tropical island for many years, and my wardrobe didn't lie about that fact. When I walked into that church, I was so warmly welcomed. It was as if they saw me, not my beach party clothes. Their warm welcome made me want to go back, and so I kept going to church. And 17 months later, after I asked God to come and fix my life because of the mess I'd made of it, I lay on my bed in the dark one night and said, Lord, I am ready to come home. Please forgive my sins. And then I went to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, everything had changed. I could tell the moment I opened my eyes that I was saved. Hallelujah. I was a new creation. I was never going back, and I knew it. That was 18 years ago. In that place that God prepared for me, in that rainforest in Belize, were missionaries who came from different parts of the U.S. and Canada. A handful of them poured into me because I was so hungry. I wanted to catch up on the Christian music that I'd missed while I was away, but I also wanted to learn the Bible all over again. Those Calvary Chapel missionaries gave me sermon tapes going through the book of John and taught me in small groups, life groups. I read everything that I could get my hands on and listened to teaching as if I was trying to save my life. It was then that I learned about the Holy Spirit. He unraveled the legalistic teaching I had grown up with and replaced it with compassion, mercy, and grace. In that first month, he and I had a conversation about ecstasy. 
I said, Lord, just give me permission to do it one more time. I just want to feel that way one more time. By now, I had started listening to him instead of just speaking at him. He said, no, let me be enough for you. Let me fill you up. Let me teach you how to live your life without it. I never touched it again, and that was 18 years ago. And then three months into my renewed Christian journey, my life took a punch in the gut. One morning when, it was no, when I was no longer able to bear it, I cried out to the Father, please help me, this is killing me. Within a few hours, I received an email from a cousin I hadn't heard from in years. She told me about a healing retreat that was going to be held by friends of ours, and she invited me to go. I only went because the invitation came so soon after I cried out to God in desperation. It was there that I began a journey of healing that has taken many years. I faced up to the abuse, rejection, isolation, and lack of physical touch, and forgave those who had hurt me. I acknowledged my failures and forgave myself. I allowed the great physician to bring me emotional healing and have allowed him to heal me layer by layer. Just as it had taken many years to build up issue after issue in my heart and defenses, it's taken years to tear them down one at a time. God gave me way more than the four friends I asked for, and he brought specific healing in the area of hurt caused by the loss of my baby. What makes going forward with him possible is that I can see him in everything when I look backward. He was lovingly there when I was conceived and in the childhood that I've mostly forgotten. He was there when I was confused about who he was and why he came and as I made bad decision after bad decision. He was there through all the deception and loss I suffered. And the moment I said, I want to come home, he was there. But he didn't wrap me up and call it done. No, he didn't just want to save me. He wanted to heal me. Because of his constant presence, I felt that I could start to trust that grace is a place I could find rest and be myself. The woman you see before you today isn't here because I woke up one day and decided to be a better person. I didn't have goodness stored in me that one day I decided to tap into and caused me to turn my life around. I am here because more than once in my life, I reached a level of desperation that made me cry out to the only one who I knew could help me, Jesus, and he answered. I am here because of God's love and mercy. What is most amazing, though, is that just as the Father waited for me, he waits for you. He is as prodigal in his love towards you as he is for me. Whatever you have done, however much you've eaten from the pig's trough in your life, he wants you to come home to him. And he's already provided the sacrifice for you. So that all you have to do is receive him. For those of you who are already Christians but find yourselves trapped by your hurts and your issues, healing is available. He wants to heal you and make you whole. His gift of salvation is only the beginning, and what a beginning it is. He wants to heal you of abuse, rejection, isolation, the things you've suffered, whatever it is. Come to Jesus for salvation and for healing from your wounds. He is waiting for you. Church, would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
the grace, the mercy, the compassion of the Father, the life that is found in Jesus. You know, I, I don't know where you're at with it all. We don't have time to interview each person here. <laughs> but we don't need to. God knows you better than you know yourself, right? I mean, He, he understands you. He made you. He is your Creator. And um, I just want to encourage you in this moment that He's not a distant Creator. He's not somewhere off somewhere doing His thing. Like, even now, He is intimately involved. He cares about you. If you have anxiety, worries, fears, doubts, He cares about every one of those emotions. But you can cast those things upon the Lord because He cares for you. If you feel hopeless, if you feel desperate, if you feel like you can't go any further, the, the straw that breaks the camel back happened, you know, six months ago, right? You're, you're way past that. If Wherever you might be today, the Lord is here. His grace, His mercy, His compassion is here. And when you cry out in a bedroom, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wherever it might be, the Lord always hears that call. He always hears that cry. And I love the Lord. I love compassion because He doesn't make fun of that cry. He doesn't misuse or abuse that cry. He comes in only as He can with tender mercy, with grace, with a gentleness. It's a kindness that leads us to repentance. He comes in His full character and His nature and He comes in And he brings only what he can bring. Forgiveness. Peace. Life. So we're going to sing this song song again. And as we do, we've made some space for you. And and there's a lot of ways you can respond to a message like this. But um, today, it's not for us to pray for you, though we'd love to pray for you later. But this is a time and a space just for you to present your life once again before your maker. To, To bow low again before him and say, God, here's my life. Here I am, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, just to say, God, I don't want this to be my thing. I don't want to have to have this be uh, my, uh, my controlling the reins, my gripping in my pride and arrogance, what I think my life should be. I'm tired of my life being the thing. I'm tired of serving the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. I'm ready to let go once again and say, God, help me. God, forgive me. God, Set me free. God, here I am. Come to the altar. Come to Jesus and see what Jesus might want to do. Again, and and we'll just let you be however that needs to happen. And and then I'll come back up and, and close us out. So let's sing this together. Amen.